0: Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope this day finds you well in your life flowing in the direction for which you want it to flow. Yesterday, our president made June 10th a federal holiday. I have mixed emotions about that, my friends. So today we're going to talk about slavery. And I'm going to tell you some things that's going to make you mad. And I'm going to tell you some things that are going to make you sad. But above all else, I'm going to tell you the truth. The date and the story of the enslaved Africans have become symbolic of slavery's roots, despite captive and free Africans likely being present in the Americas in the 1400s and as early as 1526 in the region that would become the United States. The fate of enslaved people in the United States would divide the nation during the Civil War. And after the war, the racist legacy of slavery would persist, spurring movements of resistance, including the Underground Railroad, the Montgomery Bus Boycott, the Selma to Montgomery March, and the Black Lives Matter movement. Through it all, black leaders, artists, and writers have emerged to shape the character and identity of a nation. To satisfy the labor needs of the rapidly growing North American colonies, white European settlers turned in the early 17th century from indentured servants, mostly poor Europeans, to a cheaper, more plentiful labor source, enslaved Africans. After 1619, when a Dutch ship brought 20 Africans ashore at the British colony of Jamestown, Virginia, slavery spread quickly through the American colonies. And although it is impossible to give accurate figures Some historians have estimated that 6 to 7 million enslaved people were imported to the New World during the 18th century alone, depriving the African continent of its most valuable resource, its healthiest and ablest men and women. After the American Revolution, Many colonists, particularly in the North, where slavery was relatively unimportant to the economy, began to link the oppression of enslaved Africans to their own oppression by the British. Though leaders such as George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, both slaveholders from Virginia, took cautious steps toward limiting slavery in the newly independent nation, the Constitution tactically acknowledged the institution, guaranteeing the right to repossess any person held in service or labor. An Obvious Euphemism for Slavery Many northern states had abolished slavery by the end of the 18th century, But the institution was absolutely vital in the South, where black people constituted a large minority of the population, and the economy relied on the production of crops like tobacco and cotton. And yes, Congress outlawed the import of new enslaved people in 1808, but the enslaved population in the U.S. nearly tripled over the next 50 years and by 1860, it had reached nearly 4 million, with more than half living in the cotton-producing states of the South. In the years immediately following the Revolutionary War, the rural South, the region where slavery had taken the strongest hold in North America, faced an economic crisis. The soil used to grow tobacco Then the leading cash crop was exhausted, while products such as rice and indigo failed to generate much profit. As a result, the price of enslaved people was dropping and the continued growth of slavery seemed in doubt. As the growth of the cotton industry led greatly to an increased demand for enslaved Africans, The prospect of slave rebellion, such as the one that triumphed in Haiti in 1791, drove slaveholders to make increased efforts to prevent a similar event from happening in the South. Also, in 1793, Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act, which made it a federal crime to assist an enslaved person trying to escape. Though it was difficult to enforce from state to state, especially with the growth of abolitionist feelings in the North, the law helped enshrine and legitimize slavery as an enduring American institution. In August 1831, Nate Turner struck fear into the hearts of white Southerners by leading the only effective slave rebellion in the U.S. history. Born on a small plantation in Southampton County, Virginia, Turner inherited a passionate hatred of slavery from his African-born mother and came to see himself as anointed by God to lead his people out of bondage. In early 1831, Turner took a solar eclipse as a sign that the time for revolution was near, and on the night of August 21st, he and a small band of followers killed his owners, the Travis family, and set off toward the town of Jerusalem, where they planned to capture an armory and gather more recruits. The group, which eventually numbered around 75 black people, killed some 60 white people in two days before armed resistance from local white people and the arrival of state militia forces overwhelmed them just outside Jerusalem. Some 100 enslaved people, including innocent bystanders, lost their lives in the struggle. Turner escaped and spent six weeks on the run before he was captured tried, and hanged. Often exaggerated reports of the insurrection, some said that hundreds of white people had been killed, sparked a wave of anxiety across the South. Several states called special emergency sessions of the legislature, and most strengthened their codes in order to limit the education, movement, and assembly of enslaved people. While most supporters of slavery pointed to the Turner Rebellion as evidence that black people were inherently inferior barbarians, requiring an institution such as slavery to discipline them, the increased repression of southern black people would strengthen anti-slavery feelings in the north through the 1860s and intensify the regional tensions building toward civil war. The early abolition movement in North America was fueled both by enslaved people's efforts to liberate themselves and by groups of white settlers, such as the Quakers, who opposed slavery on religious and moral grounds. Though the lofty ideas of the revolutionary era invigorated the movement, by the late 1780s it was in decline, as the growing southern cotton industry made slavery an ever more vital part of the national economy. In the early 19th century, however, a new brand of radical abolitionaries emerged in the north partially in reaction to Congress' passage of the Fugitive Slave Act in 1793 and the tightening of codes in most southern states. One of the most eloquent voices was William Lloyd Garrison, a crusading journalist from Massachusetts who founded the abolitionist newspaper The Liberator, In 1831 and became known as the most radical of American anti-slavery activists. Anti-slavery northerners, many of them free black people, had begun helping enslaved people escape from southern plantations to the north via a loose network of safe houses as early as the 1780s called the Underground Railroad. A native of Connecticut, John Brown struggled to support his large family and moved restlessly from state to state throughout his life, becoming a passionate opponent of slavery along the way. After assisting in the Underground Railroad out of Missouri and engaging in the bloody struggle between pro and anti-slavery forces in kansas in the 1850s brown grew anxious to strike a more extreme blow for the cause on the night of october the 16th 1859 he led a small band of less than 50 men in a raid against the federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry, Virginia. Their aim was to capture enough ammunition to lead a large operation against Virginia's slaveholders. Brown's men, including several black men, captured and held the arsenal until federal and state governments sent troops and were able to overpower them. John Brown was hanged on December second, 1859. His trial riveted the nation, and he emerged as an eloquent voice against the injustice of slavery and a martyr to the abolitionist cause. Just as Brown's courage turned thousands of previously indifferent Northerners against slavery. His violent actions convinced slave owners in the South beyond a doubt that abolitionists would go to any length to destroy the peculiar institution. Rumors spread of other planned insurrections and the South reverted to a semi-war status. Only the election of the anti-slavery Republican Abraham Lincoln as president in 1860 remained before the southern states would begin severing ties with the Union, sparking the bloodiest conflict in American history. In the spring of 1861, the bitter sectional conflicts that had been intensifying between North and South over the course of four decades, erupted into civil war, with 11 southern states succeeding from the Union and forming the Confederate States of America. Though President Lincoln's anti-slavery views were well established and his election as the nation's first Republican president had been the catalyst that pushed the first southern states to succeed In late 1860, the Civil War at its offset was not a war to abolish slavery. Lincoln sought first and foremost to preserve the Union, and he knew that few people, even in the North, let alone the border states, still loyal to Washington, would have supported a war against slavery in America. That, my friends, is why I become a little upset when I hear people say Lincoln freed the slaves. Lincoln did not go into the Civil War to free the slaves. He went into the Civil War to save the Union. By the summer of 1862, however, Lincoln had come to believe he could not avoid the slavery question any longer. Five days after the bloody Union victory at Antium, In September, he issued a preliminary Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863. He made it official that enslaved people within any state or designated part of a state in rebellion shall be then henceforth and forever free. Lincoln justified his decision as a wartime measure and as such, he did not go so far as to free enslaved people in the bordering states loyal to the Union, an omission that angered many abolitionists. By freeing some three million enslaved people in the rebel states, the Emancipation Proclamation deprived the Confederacy of the bulk of its labor forces and put international public opinion strongly on the Union side. Some 186,000 black soldiers would join the Union army by the time the war ended in 1865, and 38,000 lost their lives. The total number of dead at war's end was 620,000 out of population of some 35 million, making it the costliest conflict in American history. Though the Union victory in the Civil War gave some 4 million enslaved people their freedom, significant challenges awaited during the Reconstruction period. The 13th Amendment, adopted late in 1865, officially abolished slavery, but the question of freed black people's status in the post-war South remained. As white Southerners gradually reestablished civil authority in the former Confederate states in 1865 and 1866, they enacted a series of laws known as Black Codes, which were designed to restrict free black people's activity and ensure their availability as a labor force. Impatient with the leniency shown toward the former Confederate states by Andrew Johnson, who became president after Lincoln's assassination in 1865, so-called radical Republicans in Congress overrode Johnson's veto and passed the Reconstruction Act of 1867, which basically placed the South under martial law. The following year, the 14th Amendment broadened the definition of citizenship, granting equal protection of the Constitution to people who had been enslaved. Congress required Southern states to ratify the 14th Amendment and enacted universal male suffrage before they could rejoin the Union. The 15th Amendment, adopted in 1870, guaranteed that a citizen's right to vote would not be denied on account of race, color, or previous conditions of servitude. During Reconstruction, Black Americans won election in Southern state governments and even to the U.S. Congress. Their growing influence greatly dismayed many white Southerners who felt control slipping Ever further away from them, the white protection societies that rose during this period, the largest of which was the Ku Klux Klan, sought to disenfranchise black voters by using voter suppression and intimidation, as well as extreme violence. By eighteen seventy-seven, when the last federal soldiers left the South and Reconstruction drew to a close, Black Americans had seen disheartenedly little improvement in their economic and social status, and what political gains they had made had been wiped away by the vigorous efforts of white supremacist forces throughout the region. My friends, that music tells me that it's that time. So I'm going to end this story on slavery right here. Now, how you feel about Juneteenth is your business. But as far as I'm concerned, it is not enough. It is equivalent to putting a Band-Aid on a gaping chest wound. But then again, what is enough? What does whiteness have to do? To eradicate the hurt and the anger that we feel deep down inside. Some say we must forgive, but no one says we must forget. So I leave you today with this message. To control a people, you must first control what they think about themselves and how they regard their history and culture until next time my friends it has been my honor